0: Welcome to another episode of The Self-Doubt Solution, the show that helps entrepreneurs overcome the self-doubt that holds them back from achieving the next level of success, income, and personal freedom. The Self-Doubt Solution is hosted by the freedom architect, Mario Lanzarote. Listen as Mario and his inspiring guests share practical insights and tools that help you find the shortcuts for exponential growth and success in all areas of your life. Learn how to build the mindset you need to create a life of true abundance, freedom, and fulfillment. And
1: now, here is your host, Mario Lanzarowski. Welcome, my dear friends. It's a beautiful morning here in South Africa, Cape Town. This is The Self-Doubt Solution. My name is Mario Lanzarotti, known as the Freedom Architect, and today I have the pleasure and honor of interviewing Sarah Greinberg. She is an inspirational speaker, a well-being expert, and the host of one of Australia's top-rated podcasts, A Life of Greatness, where she has interviewed guests ranging from Hollywood actors such as Matthew McGonaghy, Formula One drivers Daniel Ricciardo, and New York best-selling author Gabor Mate. Through her teachings, audiences from all over the world have learned the proven habits and strategies to elevate their very best life and self. And Sarah... Is a woman who really embodies her teachings. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Sarah, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Sarah, tell me, how did you get into the world of well being? Because I find that usually people have a story. There is something that happened in their life that sort of woke them up. Because if we look at the world nowadays, what people find and the world of well-being and health is very different from what you are sharing with the world. So I'm curious, where did this all start?
0: Yes, well, you know, I wasn't always into uh, well-being and self-improvement work, but it did, it did start, as a lot of these stories do, with a dark night of the soul. And I think a lot of the time it is in those moments that we really do rise and we can kind of think a little bit more clearly even though they are in our darkest days but my story begins working at a radio station which I still actually am at it's a radio and podcast company and it's the biggest radio and podcast company not only in Australia but the southern hemisphere and I've been there for many years and I got this job which was the helm of the radio shows which is breakfast radio And I was so excited about it because, as I mentioned, being a producer in Breakfast Radio is one of the highest uh, levels of producing that you can do. So when I got this role, I was working really hard, as I always did. And just to tell you a bit about the hours, it was starting at 3 a.m., and not not just starting at, at 3 a.m. and then, you know, doing some gym or anything like that, like if you had to get up early for something, but this was like being getting up at 3 a.m. to be in the office by, you know, just before 4 a.m. At the time I had two very young children, so like a two and a four-year-old, and the environment was just not great. It was, it was a bad mix, a bad culture uh, at the time, and a lot of us who were in were working on this show, just fell into these kind of deep, dark, I suppose you could say, negative depression-like uh, mindsets where especially in winter, you'd be waking up and it would be dark and then you would be just working away and it was a really dark studio and then say you'd leave at 2 o'clock in the afternoon but you'd still be on because you'd still have to do work. And then for me I was, you know, going to bed at 8 o'clock at night when my children were going to bed And it became this merry-go-round of just doing this job and really not feeling satisfied by it, being so unbelievably tired and then mixed with having like a bad culture at work. It was just a really dark, dark time. And this was pre-COVID and I remember there was one occasion where I was so sick with the flu and I remember getting up again, really dark morning. It was really cold because it was winter And literally nearly fainting and thinking to myself, like, I'm I'm too scared to not go to work. Like, I I need to go to work. And I was so unbelievably sick. And just getting myself to work somehow. And I actually still remember, like, I literally got to work and I was wearing, like, this hoodie. And I had the hood on. You know, when you feel so ill, you're just kind of, like, half hiding yourself within this, like, jumper. And um, I was at work just feelings and they just looked at me and they were like wow you look really sick uh but still like seeing out the day that I had to do there because I think some other people were on leave or something like that but I was like the head producer in Melbourne and then getting home and having to take like a week off work because I was so ill but during that week literally where I was crumbling to pieces, I remember looking out the window and staring at this beautiful tree that we have in our back garden and seeing the mist of winter, you know, come upon the trees and crying and thinking to myself, there must be more to life than this. Like I don't know how I got myself into being just so emotionally and physically exhausted and just not satisfied with things that used to used to fulfill me or what i thought would fulfill me mm. and it was in that really dark dark moment where i thought to myself i actually need to help myself i can't rely on things just happening in my life to make me happy these external things i need to do internal work because basically this is not cutting the mustard and I remember at the time, my best friend, she was really starting to get into a lot of work within spirituality. And I always found that realm very interesting. And I ended up finding myself a mentor who was, who was, te- who would then was started to teach me in the law of attraction and other other kind of spiritual teachings and at the same time he was telling me to read this book and do this and all this other kind of stuff so I was like a moth to a flame and I started reading every book under the sun but not only did I started start reading them so I knew them intellectually I started really embodying what I was learning and really in such a short period of time I started noticing all these changes in my life and I thought to myself, wow, like I was getting this initial feedback straight away thinking, oh my God, like maybe this stuff works. And I'll never forget I was in this role. And then suddenly, even though I would complain about the role every day and how I didn't like it to anyone that would listen to me, I got a call that my boss was down from Sydney because I live in Melbourne and, you know, he wanted to chat to me. And he said to me, Sarah, your role's been made redundant. And I remember thinking to myself, what? Like, yes, I do not like this job, but I don't want to leave the company. And then I was thinking, I'm doing so much inner work. How has my job just become redundant? Like, I want it to be my choice to leave. I don't want to have someone make the choice for me. And so then I started questioning, I don't understand what's happening. And like, why is this going on? Why... Why am I being dealt these cards? I mean, I've been at this place for so many, it was eight years at the time, and now I'm just going to have like no job. Anyway, I will never forget that about two nights after I was told that, I lay in bed, and I'm by no means a religious person or anything like that. And I stared up at the ceiling and I just said this prayer in my head which, you know, is funny in hindsight because I was being so particular about what I was saying. But basically I was like, I love this company and I don't like this role, but I would love to stay at the company. And I really want to work with really nice talent that appreciate me. I don't want to work full time anymore because it's so hard with the kids. So I want to be able to kind of juggle my work in a part time basis. Anyway, I didn't really think twice about it. And I had conversations with our general manager at the time and the head of podcasting. And they called me and and said, we've got, about two weeks later, they said, we've got this role for you. It's going to be in our podcasting arm. And I actually remember thinking like, oh, podcasting. Okay. like (laughs) Because podcasting was not big then. And I think I'd listened to Serial and that was the only podcast I'd listened to. So I really didn't know much about it. But they told me, they said, you'd be working with, basically Australia's biggest celebrities who were leaving radio that year to come and start a podcast. So they said, you be the executive producer of of them, which was extraordinary. Not only are they, as I mentioned, the biggest celebrities in Australia, but they are the nicest people. They then said, you'll be able to work four days a week. And I gave them the hours I wanted to work and they said it was all fine. And then a couple of days later, I had this realisation of, oh, my God, not only do I get to stay at the same company, which I asked for in my prayer, I asked if I could work with nice celebrities. Tick, I got the biggest celebrities in Australia who are the nicest people that I ended up working for for four years and loved every moment of it. And then three, I said, can I work part-time because I was so burnt out, which then got absolutely approved. And then my life just changed in the most extraordinary way. So what I came to realize is sometimes things happen for you and not to you. And if you don't go and do it yourself, the universe has a great way of basically giving you a big nudge and moving you on your path. So really, that's a long-winded answer to your question, but that is how I got into self-improvement and wellness work and it has just been an absolute absolute ride ever since
1: Mm. that's beautiful and you know as you were speaking what came to mind was was a quote I believe it's in the bible don't quote me on this but it's something along the lines of like ask and you shall be given and yes I find that And in my personal journey towards greater levels of well-being, and we can talk about that, what that even means in a moment, one of the things is that I realized is that often I denied myself the possibility to really ask for what I want because of certain mental narratives that said, well, you can't ask for this because you're not qualified for this. You don't, you know, you're not smart enough for this. You don't have the money for this. All of these, you know, little sort of um, rules that my mind created. So I never really asked for it. And I love that you said, you know, as you had this experience with the dark night of the soul, at some point, you're just like, ask, this is what I want, you know, this and this and this. And then life is mirroring that back to you and you got it. So that's, that's really beautiful. What I'm curious to hear is what is your idea of well-being because in the world that we live in and you know i've i ran masterminds and workshops on well-being all over the world and i work with high performers specifically and i find that it's similar to what you just described sort of like you know just hustle grind really hard deny yourself a sense of well-being so you can get to the outcome that you're looking for and I'm wondering, how do you look at well-being? What does that even mean to you?
0: I think well-being is the same way I look at, you know, for me, my brand is all about greatness. My podcast, The Life of Greatness, so that's become my brand. And I I have these pillars. So I think in, in the world that we're in, people think wellness, they think green juice, they think yoga. Um, those are the kind of things, meditation and I do think those are amazing things. Meditation is a big one. I think that's extraordinary. But for me, how I define wellness is a few pillars. I think the first one is being consciously aware. So being consciously aware of your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, your words. I think being spiritual is being consciously aware and actually making good choices. I think that is the first first point. Because if you're not consciously aware of anything you do, then you're going to w- walk around the world blindly, and it goes back to that whole idea of life is happening to you, not for you. So I think consciously aware is 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 a big thing. And then I think you know doing things like choosing love over fear, I think that's a part of wellness. I think listening is a huge part of of wellness as well, being able to actually listen to someone and, and be in ceremony with them when they're talking and not just listening because you want to speak next. I think actually listening and being engaged with a person is a big thing as well. I think also living a life that's true to yourself and not trying to be something that you're not, to either satisfy your parents or your peers or trying to keep up with the Jonas's. So not really embodying or doing what you want to do in your life. I think that's another big thing, like living a life that's authentic. That's a big, big mm. pillar of wellness as well. I would say, you know, and within that is those me- things like meditation and taking care of yourself. But I think if you get those things, right then you'll start living quite a extraordinary life
1: Mm, I love that and also you just said something very curious that I want to zoom in on and you said to choose love over fear now I understand what you mean by that and I'm curious for someone that isn't necessarily familiar with the the workings of the mind like what does that mean to choose love Mm. over fear do you have like a a practical example that you personally have run into where this comes really yeah. handy?
0: There's two examples that I've heard over my time that I that I use, which I think are quite beautiful, both of them. And especially this this comes in when, say, you know, you might be in an argument with someone or someone's betrayed you or hurt you and you feel you know, you, you don't feel loving towards another person or you don't feel in a loving mood because of someone else's actions. So I think there are two things that, that I talk about. And one of them is to see everyone as if you were seeing them through the eyes of Jesus. I just think that is mm. so beautiful. And when you get frustrated with someone, like say, for example, the other day, there was someone at work that, I do like, but they were frustrating me a lot, something to do with what they were doing. They were kind of getting a few things wrong and it was repetitive. Yeah. And, you know, I, I it's not like I was angry, but it was frustr—it was frustrating. Right. And I just remember thinking to myself, see them through the eyes of Jesus. Like how would Jesus be right now? How would Jesus see this person? Jesus would see this person with love. Jesus would see this person with grace, with with extraordinary support for the person and and comfort and it just changed my whole mindset on the way that I approach this person and then the other thing is and I think this is sometimes very good especially if we're dealing with parents that are annoying us or again it might be a boss or someone that has caught it caused us angst could just be a friend see them as a child Because when you see someone in the perception of a child, when a child's innocent and a child, you know, doesn't know so much wrong from right and everyone was a child at one stage, when you see them in their innocence, everything is okay. And look, I know there are situations in life where it is so painfully hard to embody love to someone that's betrayed you or hurt you or done something difficult, but It's not about, you know, and this goes into forgiveness, it's not about letting the other person off the hook. It's about letting yourself off the hook because if you embody that fear and that rage and that resentment towards another person, I mean, they most of the time don't even know about it, nor do they care. But for you, you're the one putting yourself in jail. And it reminds me of that Rumi quote, which is, why do you put yourself in jail when the bars are open? Mm. And I think, I think you know, embodying forgiveness is big as well because you know you see today there are so many people who are who are getting ill, and um, there's such an ep- epidemic of cancer and other diseases, and a lot of them are manifested through emotions that we just push to the ground because we're not actually dealing with them. So when you're choosing love over fear, I think it is that you know, see someone through the eyes of Jesus, and then see them as a child. And then that forgiveness, try to forgive them and not forgive them to get them off the hook, but forgive them to allow yourself inner peace.
1: Mm, I love that. And I'm I'm so with you on that. And, you know, as you were speaking, what came up, you know, Jesus is quoted to have said, as he was on the cross, um, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they're doing. Yeah, When I heard that the first time, I was like, this is so stupid. This doesn't make any sense. You know, here's a guy who's being speared to death and tortured. And he says, you know, forgive all of them because they don't know what they're doing. I'm like, they of course they do know what they're doing, right? They're killing him. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. And then as I dove into the nature of the unconscious mind, and you also to your point where you make a distinction between being conscious and being unconscious, is like, can we really blame ourselves or anyone? For the behavior that we're portraying on any given day when we're unconscious, we have no idea what's Mm -hmm. actually happening, which then brings me back to what you said about innocence is like seeing someone through the eyes of Jesus is seeing them as they really are innocent. And I find that in our society, most of us struggle to even allow this possibility to be true because of the effects of this. Because it would change Mm. everything. I mean, even, you know, I looked at this at one point, every single law that we have is based on the notion of violence, all of them, even if you don't pay your parking ticket, what's going to happen, right? They're going to send you a letter, please pay. They're going to send you four letters, please pay. And at some point, the police will come knocking on your door. And if you do not open the door, they will kick in the door. And if you resist them, they will, you know, constrain you with violence and it can go even further. So we don't think about that as a society, but our fundamental way of living life is full of pain, fear and violence. So I really appreciate Mm -hmm. you bringing in this refreshing perspective. And on this note, I want to ask you, so what? What is the role of pain in well being? And the reason I ask is because when I work with high performers, I often see a resistance towards well being because it's often seen as a waste of time. It's like, I'm okay, I'm doing fine. And so I once looked into the definition of health. And one of the biggest definitions of pain of health that I found was the absence of pain. But if you look mm. at our society, we have perfected the the art of suppressing pain. So I'm mm. curious, how do you integrate pain into well-being?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So firstly, life has a dichotomy. It's called the dark or the shade and the light. And we wouldn't know happiness if we didn't know sadness. Mm. We wouldn't know pain if we didn't know health. Or wellness. So we wouldn't appreciate one without the other. And you come into this world to do this dance, to have both of them. So, firstly, you know, it's interesting to actually understand that. And then the second thing is, we're given these emotions because we need to feel them, and it's important we feel them. And take meditation, for example. Meditation is such a perfect space, not only because it clears your thoughts and it quietens the mind, but when you're in that space of stillness, it's when those emotions come and they, 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 I say, creep back up, but they come to the surface, they arise. Because in the noise of the world, in our everyday, we're so busy doing so many different things, it's so easy to push our emotions down and not feel the pain that you talk about and run away from the pain or if there's a hard situation it's easier to just like not deal with it and just forget about it or ignore it or put it to the back of our minds or if someone passes away to not grieve properly and to just let it be because it is hard to sit with those emotions but when we're in meditation we find that these these emotions come to the surface and and what i've found for myself is the fact that i sit with them And I move through them and I move through them slowly and cautiously and gently. And I allow myself to feel everything that they're bringing up for me. So, you know, take an example of a friend of mine lost his life a couple of years ago to suicide. And it was, you know, it was a real shock to everyone that worked with him and his family, obviously, and everyone close to him too. And I remember going into meditation and just absolutely bawling my eyes out. Just, I was weeping like a child and as hard and as sad as that was, I also allowed myself to feel everything that was going through my body and my mind. And then I came out the other end and I felt a little bit more complete, a little bit more whole And I know that I allow myself to move through those emotions. And I think, you know, pain can be so hard at times and extraordinarily difficult to to have in front of you. But I think if you actually move through them and you deal with them in the best way possible, that's what's going to allow you to get to the other side faster. And then going back to, what I mentioned earlier about illness and that being related to our mind and trauma that I've done a lot of work in and interviewed a lot of people who are who are quite big in that area they talk about suppressing pain and not moving through it and that's what leads to illness in the end so yeah I think pain it's a it's a part of life and like I said you're never going to go through life without feeling pain it's impossible it doesn't matter how rich you are, or how famous you are, or how smart you are, you're still going to feel pain at some point. So, I think by feeling it as well, we allow ourselves to also uh, be able to, to build resilience within ourselves. And even if you take children, for example, if we shield our children constantly from pain, which is oh. a parent, of course, that's like a natural instinct. But it's okay for kids to feel pain it's normal for kids to feel pain and just a little bit we don't have to give them this whole you know barrage of pain but in just little kind of bits micro doses here and there it slowly builds up resilience so when they become adults and they do experience pain because as I mentioned everyone does they're not hit like, with it, like a ton of bricks where they can't deal with it and they have a breakdown, they've built up this emotional resilience. So, yes, I think I think moving through pain is is a very important part of life.
1: Mm. Thank you for sharing that. and also thank you for for being vulnerable and and just allowing us in what it looks like for Sarah when she goes through pain. and i'm I'm so with you. One of the things that, that I discovered in this is, is, is very much different from the popular narrative that is being portrayed, sort of like that when you have emotional discomfort, which really is pain, you're being taught, you know, to not focus on it. And I find that actually that what we see in the personal development space, often this positive psychology. Is I find often doing more damage than it's doing good because I get a lot of see a lot of people that you know they use their affirmations, and you just be happy, just focus on the good things in life. Yes, and take a look at what's really happening underneath the surface where you know you are not dealing with things out of a fear that you're going to stay there. And it's actually quite the opposite that when you when I when you look at high performance that move through things, like you described it with a certain process where you allow yourself to feel things. They then have the space to heal they have the space mm-hmm. you know to actually be dissolved and so in my own experience i've seen that when things come up from me i move through them quickly like anger for instance i used to never allow myself to be angry because i'm like no, no no anger is not good i'm a positive person you know i'm a happy man and at some point it just came up like a freaking volcano And now what I do is, you know, I go boxing, I go scream in the pillow, you know, I allow myself to just speak things as they come. So, you know, fuck this and fuck that. And, you know, I know that I'm judging and I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. And that's just releasing things so much quicker and so much more elegantly, and allows me to have a more integrated way of living life away Mm. from this is good, this is bad, this is positive, this is negative. It's like, this can't be the way, you know, a, a friend of mine, he talks about Christ consciousness a lot. And he says that there are two paths to Christ consciousness. And for those of uh, us that are listening that don't know what that means is Christ consciousness essentially is, you know, a one way to look at enlightenment. And he said, there is the extreme dedicated way of, of mastery and hardship, which is all about, you know, living the perfect life, you know, the breathitarian yoga five hours per day you know that is that he that works however it's extremely hard or you live the way you're living and you bring in love just like you explained it you forgive quickly and easily you make an effort to to focus on loving people and loving one another and i find that the way that you're describing it it's much more integrated
0: Mm. it's funny you say that about you know, the different ways of living. And I find what you said is very interesting because there are people who, you know, do do that hardcore stuff where, uh, they're so unbelievably disciplined and maybe they're, you know, vegan and, or, you know, whatever they're doing, or they, you know, are just doing these disciplines that are quite extraordinary and they're not drinking alcohol and they're not doing this or that. And, I think that's a wonderful thing. and My hat goes off to them. But the way that I have put it into my life, which I think would be quite relatable, is that I do everything, not everything, definitely not everything, but I do things in moderation. So, for example, I've never been a big drinker anyway, but I do enjoy having a drink with my friends. I don't drink during the week because I wake up every morning and I do meditation or I do exercise and I do the things that I know make me feel good. And even if I have one drink during the week, I'm foggy the next day and I don't want to feel like that because Mm. for me, meditation and my work and just showing up and also my mental health, I know gets affected if I, you know, have too much alcohol that I want to make sure that I'm like a very clear vessel and feeling the best but if it's Saturday night and I'm out with my friends and we're having a beautiful dinner, then I'd love to have a martini or a glass of rosé. That is some of the most fun things to do with friends. Yeah. But I do it here and there, not but I don't do it always and I don't deprive myself of that either. And I think that's a nice way to integrate wellness into your life that sometimes if you take away everything you can feel that lack and that oh I'm being I have to be so in a certain way just to be able to you know tick a box or something but I don't think that's what the spiritual life or or the wellness path is always about. I think it is all those pillars we spoke about earlier and I think it's about doing things in moderation but putting your health and your well-being first. So I think having fun, though, I mean, not that you have to have alcohol to have fun by any means, but I think not taking life too seriously. And it goes back to that kind of being in that childlike state, like having a good time, having a laugh. I think they're such important things as well.
1: Hmm, I love that. And I'm curious to hear about your mental hygiene, because what you're describing is a mindset you're looking at life and you're saying, Hey, instead of doing it this way, which by the way, I used to do, I remember living in New York, get up at five, you know, then work out an hour, then do my meditation then my journaling affirmations, like until 9am and every single day. And um, I'm still quite a disciplined person. So I'm, I am vegan. Uh, I've been for almost seven years um, and I rarely drink. But it's because I don't really enjoy it, the taste yeah. of it., um, um, but I've also loosened up a lot over the last years. and it's because of that mindset that you brought forward. So I'm curious how do you how do you operate mentally to align yourselves to a greater expression of well-being? What are sort of the ways that you tend to look at that that help you with that?
0: I think you know, from a mental well-being perspective, going back to meditation, like I meditate basically every single day. Uh, and I go between different sort of meditations. And I think that is one of the biggest things I have done in my wellness journey journey. And for my mental health, that's been extraordinary. I mean, it's such a wonderful place to quieten the mind. And really, it, it changed my life as far as in my eyes open life, you know, the way that I react to things is that there's that time between stimulus and reaction, which I don't think I had had before. And everything was such a big deal. And I used to worry so much. And, you know, I still do worry about certain things here and there, but nothing in comparison to what I, what I was like before going back to conscious awareness, I'm always so consciously aware of my thought patterns and rumination And I know how to move to the better feeling thought, which I think is something that's beneficial for a lot of people. And one of the exercises that I use and I I help guide people with is if you're having negative thoughts or those ruminating thoughts that a lot of us do have, such an easy way to guide yourself back to a better feeling thought is think about something in your life that you love that you just adore and it could be your dog or your partner or your cousin or a job or something that just brings you such joy and know what it is and every time you get that negative thought start moving your mind towards that thing that you get so much joy and love from and when I have a negative thought I'm immediately bang thinking of that that thing that brings me joy And the more and more that you do that, you'll notice over time through neuroplasticity that your mind stops focusing on the negative because our minds like to focus on the negative because it's almost it's a it's a way that our our kind of we we do that to make sure that we don't get into trouble and that we're almost protecting ourselves but if you're moving into that positive feeling thought your mind will start always going to that positive feeling thought and it really it, it you may have to do that 100 times a day but the more and more that you do it the more that you'll see the results start happening for you and the negative thoughts become less and less but the thing is you have to keep on doing it it's not something that you can do for a week and then suddenly you're fixed it's something that you have to have at the top of your mind so i find That that's a really effective tool to watch your thought patterns and is really good with mental health. I think meditation for me is also, as I mentioned, such an extraordinary thing. And then you know, through that, there are things that you do. You know, your vibration is lifted. You'll see that you know you end up spending time, as I do, with people that bring my heart a lot of joy and love. And you know, I'm very picky about the people that I spend my limited time with and I try and fill myself up or my cup up with people that mean a lot to me I don't like small talk and things like that so much so I don't put myself if I can in situations where there is so much of that I do things that I enjoy with people that I love and I think that's a great way to you know mend your mental health or keep your mental health in check I think it's important as we went we said earlier having fun it's it's um, it's why we're here in life so and living true to yourself and doing the things that make your heart sing I think that also is such a great thing to help you not only on your journey but again with your mental health
1: mm. and you said something you talked about relationships and I find that relationships and mental well-being and overall well-being go hand in hand and yet I also see this as being the by far the most challenging area of anybody's life because so many so many triggers are brought up in our relationships mm-hmm. with people that are close to us. And so how do you see relationships and and the role of well-being and what is sort of your your way of navigating through this field?
0: Yes I think relationships can be some I agree with you can be some of the toughest things that, and challenging things in our life but also some of the most fulfilling things in our life mm. and I think you know we are beings that are here to be with one another and there's that beautiful quote by Ram that we're all just here to walk each other home and I think mm. that kind of sums up the beauty of relationships but you know I've had my fair share of challenging relationships over time and I feel that when I got into self-improvement work and and spirituality, that really shifted a lot. And I touched on it just earlier, but I really became quite quite decisive about the type of people that I wanted to hang out with, and the people that I felt like they didn't have to be the same as as me, but reflectors what I thought was ethically and morally correct and I pulled away from people that I felt were not not fulfilling what I thought I wanted in a friend and really I truly believe that when you're on this journey you'll see there'll be parts of your life that fall away when you start doing self-improvement work, becoming very conscious, meditating, doing all those things. Things fall away. It could be a job, relationships end, friendships, romantic relationships, and things start to change. And that can be very overwhelming at first because there's a part of you that's clinging onto the old self, but then a part of you that wants to evolve into the new self. And I think If we, you know, talking about relationships, then sometimes we need to shed that old lining of ourselves and with that falls away relationships. But then at the same time, it's like you're opening the door to these beautiful new relationships that you've just always wanted and they're always going to be there. So I think one of the big things is to not cling on to the past and to those old relationships, especially when they kind of came about our old self and if we're moving forward into our new self, you'll see beautiful new relationships being created. And I think like everything, yes, relationships can be challenging, even in our new self, but A Course in Miracles always says, you know, treat treat everyone as if I think it's something like treat everyone basically as if they were God in the sense of the fact that everyone look at everyone equally. No one is below you. No one is above you. And everyone has that beauty within them that you do too. And yeah, I think being surrounded by people that you trust and you love, and sometimes that might be just one person, or it could be two people or three people, but you know, that's enough to fill your cup up. And I think, also, I think birds of a feather flock together. So just be very mindful of who you're spending time with because i truly feel that we learn a lot from other people and we're nourished a lot by our relationships. so you want to make sure that you're surrounded by people that reflect the same the same systems of belief that you do as well
1: yeah you talk about this shift Of going sort of when you when you work on yourself and you start shedding sort of outdated older versions of yourself. And with that, sometimes you disconnect from certain relationships. One thing that I've talked about in my TEDx talk um, is, is, is loneliness. And I find that often this goes hand in hand as people transition out of an old identity into a new one and start shedding lots of relationships, many people end up in a place where they feel lonely. And that's a very, very important, pivotal moment in in, in their in life where you can fall back into old patterns because you're like, I'd rather go back to people than be lonely, or you can do what we talked about earlier, be with that loneliness and, and and go to newer heights. So I'm curious, have you experienced loneliness on this journey where as you were shedding identities?
0: Well, it's interesting because there's a difference between being alone and being lonely. Mm. So you can be alone and be fine. It's mm-hmm. just the fact that you're actually alone. but you're not lonely or you can be surrounded by a lot of people and feel completely lonely, which you can be in a relationship and feel lonely. So I think it's really interesting to make that definition because, you know, like I said, a lot of people are surrounded by people and they are the loneliest. And I think that's almost worse when you're in a relationship or you have a lot of friends and you feel so alone. No one gets you. No one's on your wavelength. No one's listening to you. So I think that's important to hear too because sometimes when you're just alone, it can be so, it can almost be like freedom. I mean, you get to do whatever you want. <laughs> uh, but did I feel lonely? To be honest with you, I feel very fortunate that I didn't because I did have a number of very close people to me that walk the same or very similar path at the same time. So we all started getting into this kind of work. We all started uh, reading different books and passing them on to one another and talking about our learnings and doing retreats together. So it was very much a journey with probably there was about three or four of my friends that that did it. and But at the same time, as I said to you, I did shared some old friends that uh, I still adore them very much, but I felt that we didn't have very much in common. And I, I am so sure that they felt the same way about me. And I didn't have a conversation with them that I, you know, I, sorry, not being friends with you anymore. I'm on my own journey. It was over time where it just kind of, we drifted and drifted and drifted, but my old self would have felt so lost with that. And I wouldn't have been able to deal with it. And I would have clung on to it, but I knew that it was for the better. And it was, it was really interesting. Like I let them go with so much love. And like I said, I still bump into them here and there and I adore them. I absolutely adore them, but we're just not on the same wavelength. And when there was that time where I was kind of transitioning, I noticed that by, when I did kind of start evolving, that there were these extraordinary people that ended up coming into my life. And I'm a true believer that, you know, you close one door and another one opens, but if your door's shut and it's full, there's no one else that's going to come into it. So you almost have to open that new door to reveal that new relationship or that new job or that new thing that you want to create so no I didn't feel lonely as such um but there was a transition period where yes I did move away from people that had been in my life for a long period Mm. of time
1: that's an interesting distinction that you make and what comes up for me as you were speaking is the difference between discerning and judging. And from yeah. what it sounds like, you've been very good at discerning to say, this is no longer right for me. It's not longer that alignment, but that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. It's just that I mm. have moved on and I've progressed. And you know, you you touched on this as well, where loneliness is, is often the result of a lack of human connection and the human connection Mm. comes through authenticity comes through vulnerability it comes through feeling that you're heard and seen in that vulnerable space and for me that was oftentimes not the case because i i went through radical shifts in my life very quickly it was almost like within like two three weeks and i would go back to certain people they're like what happened to you you're so different we don't recognize you anymore it's like what is this so you know Mr. Guru kind of thing I often got that, yes. and I was like no mm. so I then became more quiet around certain people I started to dim my light and then when mm. I was with other people my light was just like boom out there and people loved it but I struggled with that for a long time until I learned the 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 importance of discernment because I felt like, oh, I'm being so mean because I'm saying you're all wrong, you're all bad, you know, and I'm like, but that's not what I meant. I mean, just, just that doesn't feel right anymore for me. And so it helped me really uh, progress with that. Um, I want to be mindful of our time. And I want to ask you two more questions. Question number one is, if you had a magic pill to 10x any area of your life, what would it be and why?
0: Oh, wow. If I had a magic pill, I think, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about, about love. I think, you know, in all my teachings and and studies myself, that's what it comes back to. And, I mean, if I could 10x love, then, whoa, see you later, baby. But... <laughs> if you can fulfill your life or fill your life with love in every area, that's where creation starts happening. And, you know, that's such a buzzword manifestation, but I've studied manifestation for many years. I've used it a lot and I've created the most magnificent things, but it comes back to love and being a beacon of love and trying to infuse everything you do with love. And When you do that, as you would know, you attract such abundance into your life, such amazing people into your life, such amazing relationships into your life. So I think the area that I would want to heighten with the magic pill would be that.
1: Mm. I'm so happy that you said that because often people say, you know, money, more impact, more success. So I really appreciate also you making that distinction that at the center of everything that you want to manifest is love. And that's a really beautiful way of looking at that. Mm. And there's another question that I'm really curious how specifically you are going to answer this because of your nature of what you do on any given day basis. And the question is, if you could spend an hour of your time with any person in the world, dead or alive, you know, and you have spent a lot of time with a lot of powerful people, who would that be and why? Mm, That's a good question.
0: Hmm, who would I spend an hour with? I've actually never been asked this question before, but someone I was looking at a bit of his work today, I was looking at a quote of his today, and I think he'd be an extraordinary mind because not only is he intelligent, but he was such a philosopher as well, is Albert Einstein. Mm. And I think it would be extraordinary to, to spend an hour with him and just talk to him about life and and love and just everything that he, you know, just just be able to get into his mind and have that conversation with him, I think that would be something that would be so unbelievably fulfilling and rich, and I think that you'd be able to take his wisdom and use it so wisely in your own life and and share with others. So I think, yeah, I think Albert Einstein would be a great person to spend some time
1: with. Mm, You're the first one to see that. I love that answer. And it also makes a lot of sense that you say this because of the nature of our conversation today. You talked a lot about manifestation and Albert Einstein said that imagination is more important than knowledge. Mm. And here's sort of the Mr. Knowledge person or one of the people that you would associate with having a vast amount of it. And yet he tells you this is not the pinnacle. Imagination is. So I really appreciate that answer. Sarah, I really loved our conversation. And um, if someone would like to get in touch with you to learn more about what it is that you're offering, how you can help them, what's the best way to get in touch with you?
0: The best way to get in touch with me is you can go onto my website at saragrimberg.com. I sell meditations there. I'm about to, to uh, have a course that I'll be selling on there as well. And then also, obviously, you can listen to my podcast, A Life of Greatness, where I interview extraordinary minds. And then I'm also on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg. You can find me there. There are some other places too. But those are the main ones. And that will guide you to everything else that I do.
1: Beautiful. And I will be sure to tag all of those things that you just mentioned in the show notes so people can easily find you. Sarah, thank you so much for dedicating your time to this conversation and the space of being here with me today any last words for whoever is listening
0: ah i think everyone you know just follow your dreams if you can and be your extraordinary self you hold the power within you so you know remember that life happens for you not to you Thank you. I've appreciated our conversation immensely.
1: (laughs) Beautiful. Thank you so much, Sarah. And uh, thank you for tuning into the Self-Doubt Solution. This is your host, Mario Lanzarotti, the Freedom Architect, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.